Welcome to Forward Focused. In each episode, we're helping you take one step toward becoming a more effective, well-rounded leader. I'm your host, John Reich, and in today's conversation, we sit down with Doug Andrus. Now, Doug has over 40 years of experience across many different industries, from government and military, to real estate, to business consulting. What I want you to key in for today's conversation is the people, principle, and places that he learned from and carried into his next opportunity. So without further ado, here we go. Well, Mr. Douglas Andrus, thank you for being here this morning. I appreciate you. Good day to you, sir. Everything going well? Better than well. That's going up. It's been an exceedingly good week. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm super excited to chat with you today a little bit about just the man behind the curtain, um, your experiences, your connections, and uh, what you bring to your role every single day. Uh, so what I'd like to start with is just briefly, who are you? What's your role today? Now, is this PG rated or for mature audiences? <laughs> and, uh, we're, we're trying to keep this for well-rounded leaders. Gotcha. So, okay. All right. So tell me a little bit, what's your role today? Who are you working with today? How do we know each other? And then we'll get into some content. Uh, well, let's see, John, we've known each other almost four years now. And met John when we were vetting and looking for a new team leader for the company. And uh, I have worn every hat in the company there is except for OP. And our company is Keller Williams, Keller Williams Lakeside, Lakeside Real Estate. Keller Williams Realty Lakeside yep. in Shelby Township, Michigan. And I've been with the company 10 years, um, but uh, came on as a person more or less to work with luxury homes and got that up and running and we had an absent, uh, well not an absent, a vacancy for the team leader position, which I was asked to fill. Mm -hmm. So I was the substitute teacher, team leader, for about two years. Shoot me if they ever asked me to do that again. <laughs> uh, and uh, now I, I function mainly as the operations manager, or known as the broker manager for the company, which means that yeah, any of the issues, risk management, uh, problems with transactions, negotiation problems, broker issues, I handle those. Right, and, and we're not talking, we're a startup fly-by-night shop here, right? No. So, I mean, how many transactions are we doing a year? How many agents do we have? Because I want people to really understand when we get into leadership conversations in a little bit here, it's about knowing what to focus right. on and at what time. So what a are we bit doing? Of where we've been, where we're at, where we're going. Uh, 10 years ago, we had about 100 people, uh, maybe 110. We quickly started to grow with Tom Katzian and myself uh, working together uh, on the operations and recruiting, and we grew it to about 150. That's when Tom departed for another office, and I was asked to substitute right. uh, as a team leader, and uh, we continued to grow. Uh, brought Sandy Galt on along, and she was phenomenal, is phenomenal to work with, and we continued to grow uh, to the point where we got to about 180, and Brian Party came online, and he was terrific for a couple of years, and he had another opportunity in Florida, and then comes John. And with uh, your leadership and the combination of the team, uh, we're now at about 375 people and looking at 400 pretty soon. Yep. Uh, lots of things in the pipeline. What's most impressive, though, I think, isn't the people numbers. It's recruiting the right people in that have created the performance. And I think last year we were just about 3,300 closings which uh, puts us in Michigan probably in the top four companies for all companies. And I think for the region, number two for yep. the Michigan region. Yep, and top 50 worldwide for Cole Williams. Yep. So there's 
never a dull moment. Yeah. At Keller Williams Lakeside, put right. it that way. Right. So, so in, in short, if I'm listening to this, when we start getting into content around right. what's gotten you here today, right? right. It, we are running a mega operation that still mm -hmm. has a family feel and is collaborative and caring, right? So talk to me a little bit about what route or story or path you took to get here today. I mean, you have a pretty mm -hmm. eclectic background with, with a vary of experiences. Yeah. It's, uh, at 66, I've probably, uh, packed a lot into it. Yeah. Uh, started out, uh, really after high school, I graduated at 17 and didn't turn 18 until November and went to Macomb college for law enforcement. And when I turned 18, it was the same time Michigan turned everything to 18 and they handpicked through the state police, a fellow named Leo Sendik, 20 of us to be the first under 21 year olds to go through the police academy and become sworn police officers. Vietnam was still going on. And shortly after that, like eight months later, I had a draft number of 51. Wow. And couldn't get a deferment. And through my connections, though, through uh, the police work, I ended up with the Air Force and became a military policeman and an investigator for the Air Force. Spent eight years doing that. Uh, 14 countries, lived in Spain for three years. Got married, had two kids, everything along the way. So by, by 22, mm -hmm. you're a family man mm -hmm. abroad. Living in Spain. And you had, you had two of your two kids. children born in Spain, right? In Spain. And in charge of 22 guys. I was NCIC of operations for our group there. So you didn't really have a choice, right? I mean, I mean, mm -hmm. life happens and you, you stepped up to the plate yep. and said, let's lean into this opportunity. That was that era though. You got to remember the whole Vietnam era, uh, you grew up fast right? and you grew up real quick. And it was uh, part of that era. I think that is a lot different than things are today. Sure. Uh, and that's not necessarily a good thing that we grew up quick and went through life very rapidly because the way things were at the world in the world at that time. Right. I don't regret anything uh, as far as that goes. Uh, when it came time, though, to give up law enforcement, it was reluctantly, but I'd had enough. I knew there was other things in my destiny. I was going to be in charge of my own destiny. And uh, doing police work, I became disenchanted with it because of a lot of different reasons. And uh, one of the main ones was the bad guys had more rights than the good guys. And I just didn't uh, believe in the system anymore. Right. So... Lo and behold, what am I going to do? So I wanted to finish college and look for something flexible. My brother, Dennis, uh, was already in the business with Schweitzer Real Estate at that time. And I came back. I had uh, accrued leave. I had four months of accrued leave that I still was being paid, just like full time. And it gave me a chance to transition into civilian life. So let's pause for a second. So, so mm -hmm. what I'm hearing there is that um, you, you woke up and mm -hmm. you started to realize that in your current role or current environment, Correct. things weren't being fulfilled. You weren't starting to see mm -hmm. the growth or trajectory you wanted. And then you also made a calculated decision and you assessed what else was out there. Correct. You talked to some key people in your life, like your brother. Correct. And here's the key too. Mm -hmm. You had money set aside for your Correct. next venture. So if, so if I'm an aspiring leader and I'm thinking about mm -hmm. how can I look at things, I would ask myself, Am I being fulfilled today? Right. Who can I talk to that I can have trusted advisory? And then mm -hmm. can I actually financially make a change or a pivot? So I just, I think that's right. a highlight. So very good. Well, you're, you're motivated too by supporting a family. Right. You're also motivated that when you do come home, and I, I left the Air Force Academy, tears in my eyes, it was a great place to be, drove home to move in with my mother. Now, when you have your wife, your mother, and two kids under one roof, you're motivated. Yeah. You're very motivated yeah. to get your own place mm -hmm. and to make things happen. 
And I was very fortunate. The market was good, very solid. And I had some good mentors. Jim Heidish, I got to give a real shout out to. Uh, my very first real mentor in the real estate business. And uh, he really helped me grow quickly. Recognized that I was hungry, ready to make it happen. And uh, I sold 24 homes my first year. And it was, uh, I was just felt very natural with it. You know, and it was a good economic time. And it launched me. And it was shortly after that, that the market crashed. It crashed because the interest rates went to almost 20%. What year was this, roughly? You're right in the 1980, 81, 82. Okay. And it, it was unbelievable how quickly the market shifted. And so just for, for people who are following here, mm -hmm. so when you say interest rates, what were the interest rates in 1980? Uh, well, they, when we before they went up, we were running about 7 8%. Okay. And they went to 18 and 19%. 18, 19%. And now look, we're looking today, 2020, we're oh. at 3%. <laughs> this, if you'd have asked me 15 years ago that we will have rates in the 3 and 4%, I'd have said this, that's never going to happen. Right. I would never have predicted it. It makes me a little leery because I think uh, we're supporting these rates at the expense of other things. Right. If you, if you understand the big picture of the economics, uh, that these rates, I, I doubt that we'll see again in 20 years. And they are going to change. Sure. And uh, they will be, a more normal rate should be about 5 to 6%. And, and so what I was just, I just wanted to highlight there, because uh -huh. this isn't just a real estate conversation. Right. However, the industry that you were in and aspiring to grow in as a leader, right. you, you came in and the rules changed. Oh. And that is leadership. It was. The rules are consistently changing. It, it the game you're playing in. You, you have no idea how quickly the ground can shift beneath you. And we had, at that time, uh, about uh, 10 offices uh, with our group. And I had stepped into a role of manager in their St. Clair Shores office and was really thrown into it because the, the fellow that was there said, I've got a better opportunity in Florida. I'm out of here. And overnight, I got the call. We need you to fill in in St. Clair Shores. I walk in. I'm looking at all these people. They're looking at me. I'm this young kid. I'm only 27. And I've been in the business a year. And so I said, okay. You guys have to teach me. And I approached my leadership style from what can you show me? I'm here to be helpful and to help this office be growing and successful through this terrible time that we're in. And that was my approach and it worked. So a theme that I'm consistently hearing from you, mm -hmm. whether it was uh, in the military, mm -hmm. whether it was uh, jumping into real estate, is mm -hmm. this idea of mentorship. So I want to yes. pivot to that. So sure. What what were you looking for in mentors or in role models? What was something that you were aspiring toward? Role models, there's there, a, ment, a true mentor understands that they have to teach you to think, to think for yourself. Too many mentors think they have to do it for you and have you watch them do it for you. You're not teaching. Right. You're just doing somebody else's job for them. And they're going to come back to you over and over again because you, you, you teach people how to treat you. Right. And if you've got people in your tutorage that you're the man that's tutoring them, you're responsible for mentoring them, guess what? They're always going to be dependent upon you. You'll never be able to wean them away. Right. You know, the best thing any leader can do that's a true mentor is hopefully teach them to be better than you are. Right. That's what you want to have happen. Right. And so, so asking some focusing questions around a topic or an issue or a problem, right? When people come into you and their hair is on fire and they're just having a fit because they, they just don't know where to turn because of whatever the issue might be. And this could be a personal issue, business issue, it doesn't matter what it is. The first thing you have to do is stay calm, 
cool and collected. Mm-hmm. Within minutes, they start to calm down. Within minutes, you can get into a, a, what I call solutions-based conversation and say, well, okay, I understand the problem. What would be your best solution today, John? Right. What would, in your mind, what would be the best solution? Nobody's going to die here. This isn't one of those type of life or death moments. Mm-hmm. So let's break it down. What happened in communication here? Because it's always communica- communication issues are always the issue. And you peel, those, peel it back. You find the options. You identify the best option. Plan A, plan B, plan C if you need it. And you go for it. Right. But they go for it. You don't go and do it for them. If I go and do it for them, Every time they get a bully in the, par- in the parking lot, they're going to run in and want me to take care of their bully. So what, Not going to happen. What I'm hearing there is that you're never assigning yourself homework. No. Let me give you, let me, I'm going to answer this a different way. Uh, you ever seen those little monkeys that you can, they hang on and they're little monkeys? Right now I can see the monkeys that are on your back. Right. Everybody in here has a monkey on their back or two or three. A lot of times leadership thinks they have to handle and take care of everybody's monkey. And that's the leaders that burn out. They will burn out because they want to be everything to everybody. That's not really a good leader. You're a good friend, but you're not a good leader. So when they walk in and they bring that, that, that playful little monkey and the monkey's running around my desk, and we're talking about the monkey and the issues with their monkey. <laughs> okay, we're going to pet the monkey. We're going to feed the monkey, give it a little water, but they're going to leave with their monkey. They're not going to leave their monkey on my desk. Right. They're going to leave with that monkey, and it's hopefully going to be trained a little bit better. They're going to have a plan. Right. And they're going to report back to me the next day. How's your monkey? Right. Okay, and we're going to deal with it that way. Right. But don't let people leave their monkeys on your desk. Right. Because you're going to sit there at your desk, and you're going to have 100 monkeys, and they're all going to be pulling at you. Don't let that happen to you as a leader. Right. No, and I, th- I think that's critical, right? Because as a leader, how would you define... Um, the leader's role in regard to moving the company forward or moving the ship forward while still managing these monkeys or these issues that are popping up. How do you, how do you turn that off, turn that on? Is it a switch? I love the term multitasking. And uh, you have to be focused on one issue at a time. And multitasking for some people means nothing gets done and it doesn't get done right but they've got all these projects in the fire. Right. They're always busy, but they're not getting a damn thing done. So you have to identify what are your, your top three monkeys today that have, regardless of anything, have to be handled. Right. You have to be like a trauma center. You have to determine the issues that come up, which ones are traumatic and need immediate assistance, and which ones can sit in the waiting room for a little while. Right. And you have to develop that skill is to analyze very quickly which those are well there's a skill there and i think there's a system isn't there because you need to have a system in place that has a flow so the people around you can say doug this needs your immediate attention and this can wait well here's what i've asked people to do right in in the role that i'm in right if you have a problem with a listing agreement purchase agreement a document send it to me first let me see what we're going to talk about otherwise you want to call and talk to me about your purchase agreement and you want to read it to me over the phone and you're talking real fast and you're upset and well, guess what? It's like you, me talking to you about an x-ray right. over the phone that you can't see. Right. You need to see the x-ray. Right. <laughs> All right. So you have to teach your people in the problem solving that you're in what they need to prepare you for so you can best assist them. So this comes back to what you were just saying about we teach people how to treat ourselves. Yes. Right. And so by having clear expectations and setting that pace Correct. and saying, listen, Doug, I care about you. Right. And when you bring these three things to the issue that's at hand, I can right. help you better. 
Correct. Until then, we're just going to be spinning and we won't have traction. Or we're going to waste a lot of time. Right. Right. We'll eventually get to the solution, but we could have done it in half the time. Correct. When you get enough people, it goes viral. People understand how they need to communicate with you as the leader. And they know that then I'll say, I just need you to get back to me later today. I don't need an answer right now. Sure. So people do get into the beat of what you're willing to accept from them. Right. The ones that are the time stealers, though, are the ones that you really, as a leader, you have to watch out for. Right. And time stealers walk around with their coffee cup in their hand and always have some drama in their life going on. And they always feel like they need some attention from you today. <clears throat> you have to have that heart to heart with them. They're great people. They need to have them in your organization, but you have to let them know. I'm time blocked here. Right. It, it's very simple. And, and a lot of leaders, you know, Steve Jobs and Gary Keller and, and different, you know, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, they say, you run your schedule or your schedule runs you. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is that simple. And if you're not putting the right things on your schedule and having a system in place of how to mm-hmm. balance some of those issues, right. you're going to run into issues. And oh. you'll never gain traction as a leader. That That's what I want to drive home is that the, the key to being a leader in any organization, mm-hmm. in any industry, mm-hmm. is having a clear purpose. I want yeah. to go back to something you said um, sure. and, and, and kind of pivot here a little bit. All right. You talked about um, having a clear purpose and right. having a passion, right? And so I want to ask you a little bit, in everything that you've done from the military to getting into mm-hmm. real estate, and then you've only been with a handful of companies. It's mm-hmm. not like you've jumped nope. you know, every five years to a new company. Nope. What are the values that you look for? What are you attracted to? So if I'm a leader building out my business, building out mm-hmm. my brand, what were some key values that attracted your, yourself, your talent, mm-hmm. right, to their organizations? Because if I'm trying to aspire, I may want to be looking for values in my organization. Well, first of all, you have to, you have to know who you are. Okay, you need to really take any of the disc test or personality profiles and really understand yourself. And then as you're assessing organizations that you want to or, or may want to join, mm-hmm. you have to see, are, am I the right fit for that organization and its culture? Right. I think too many times people are trying to uh, uh, put the square peg in a round hole. And the different systems, be it, if for, if for instance, in real estate, uh, the REMAX program is different than the Keller Williams program. Our program is different than Century 21. The philosophies, the, the core beliefs, the values of a company are something that I think you need to assess and see, is this fit who I am as a person? Let's face it, I'm, you're going to spend more time in your, in your career and your business with people that are not your family. And so we refer to it here as a family because our right. culture is about that. But you won't find that in other places. I think that uh, what's most important to me is the integrity of a company. Mm-hmm. We talk about people's integrity, but it's also what what is the, organ- the organizational integrity. Okay, I think that that's critical. And it starts with having the right leadership, but then that right leadership has to create that in their mission and their vision as to who they are and their core beliefs. And so we, we started this talk today around talking about the growth of the mm-hmm. company, right? And so you have these core beliefs. And as you're recruiting people into the organization, the, the organization changes a little bit, doesn't it? Well, change is the only thing that's constant, John. Yeah. You know, ask my two ex-wives. No. Yeah. <laughs> but the change is the only thing that's constant. All right. And it's constant because uh, of the world we live in today. And Gary Keller's talked about it, but it's been talked about in every level is 
ever since the printing press, the greatest revolution, this technology revolution that we're in right now. Oh my goodness. Is so fast right. and things are happening so quickly right. that you have to adapt. People talk about, oh, I wish it was the way it was or the good old days. Bull crap. Right. I love the efficiencies being created. I, I'm the, I'm, I've got my nose prints on the window at the Apple store when something new is released. I want to see what they're coming out with next. Okay. This is the most exciting time to be alive. To have the world at your fingertips, to have in this little device, the phone is one-tenth of it. The phone, the camera, the FaceTime, the amazing amount of data. I've got 18,000 photos in here. Right. Okay. It's remarkable, the new camera on the new iPhone 11. It's, it's a $1,000 camera that just happens to have a phone and a computer and everything else built into it. These are amazing times. Yeah. We flew to Dallas last week. I still get amazed every time I get an aircraft with 250 people. And we're going to fly at 550 miles an hour at 35,000 feet while I'm on my phone. Right. You don't believe in miracles. Right. No. You're experiencing no. one. Well, and I think you're hitting on a theme there, right? Because right. Uh, revolutions don't happen every day. No. And, and there, I mean, and the proof is in the pudding. We're in the fourth one right now. Right. So if you think about it, what's the fourth industrial revolution or the fourth revolution? It's very simply put, big data and artificial intelligence. Exactly. And if you don't believe that in today's world as a leader, mm -hmm. you need to be understanding that patterns, behaviors, mm -hmm. and that we're being tracked at our every moment on our, our what are we buying? What are mm -hmm. we viewing online? What are we uh, looking at? stores? You walk into a store today, right? And there's cameras that are being watching your every move mm -hmm. and they're literally calculating what to put on which shelf based on those patterns. So mm -hmm. as a leader, if I'm not looking for talent, if I'm not looking for people that understand that shift, right? my organization is not going to be around. Remember Circuit City? Hey, look at your brother in Kroger's. Yeah. And we're talking about different things. Right. My shopping pattern depends on what coupons I get in the mail from them. Right. I don't just get a blanket book of coupons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They know my they shopping cater, patterns. They cater you coupons to how you how you purchase. That's right. Da-da. Right. So so how does that... And now I don't even have to go in the store. I can order <laughs> online, yep. and they'll I pull up, and they bring the groceries out and put it in my car. Right. I kind of right. like shopping inside, though, but it is convenient to be able to do that. Well, and, and that's what I was... Let's pivot to that, because that, right. that's critical. Convenience is... It's... It's everything and in everything we do. Well, let's define convenience for a minute because right. I think it has to do with the limited amount of time we have in every day. Correct. And how do I get the most out of my day? Correct. So convenience is really not how easy it is, but how is it going to make my day better? Correct. More efficient. Correct. Right? Because it, it, it's like if I'm coming in for a morning mm -hmm. meeting and I'm running five minutes behind, I'm not going to have time to stand in line at Starbucks, mm -hmm. right? So I go on the app, I order it, mm -hmm. I pull up, I walk in, I grab my coffee, I walk out. Right. So if I'm a leader thinking about where are there inefficiencies in my business for my people or maybe for my clients or customers or consumers, mm -hmm. that if I could just make it better, mm -hmm. you know, could I do more volume? Could I be more productive or could my people be happier? I probably in the last, uh, the last decade experienced extreme shifts when we have to change from one software to another. I mean, literally, not going from 2.0 to 3.0. No, no, no. Completely shutting off one system right. and turning on another. Systems change, right. And uh, getting five or six or 7,000 people to give up something they're comfortable with 
for something new has its challenges and its rewards. And uh, it's, it's certainly taught me a lot more about human behavior and how to improve that experience for people going through that. And that's what we're having in every field I know of right now. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're in banking, doesn't matter if, with Kim and her store. Right. Okay. And competing with retail is under siege right, right. now. Yep. Macy's going to change their whole business model, closing 125 of the big stores. They're going to have small stores. They're going to have you ordering online. Right. They're going to have you be able to go to the store to return things. They're changing their entire business model. They're not going out of business. Right. They're adapting. And what well, what we're finding is, because we, you and I have done a lot of right. case studies on this, and we looked at several different businesses, mm-hmm. and what we have found is actually pretty interesting. The two mm-hmm. things that we have found more than anything, it's not that retail's dying. It's mm-hmm. that stale experiences in retail is dying. And right. then secondly, if the experiences are worth giving, if they're worth right. having, the consumer will still come. Right. Perfect local example. Lakeside mm-hmm. Mall, Partridge Creek. Oh. Exactly. Lakeside Mall is a graveyard from what it was five years ago, yep. 10 years ago. Partridge Creek is thriving. Right. They have summer concerts. They have pubs and bars and wineries. The they have coffee shops that you can bring your dog mm-hmm. there, restaurants, and then, of course, shopping. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's all about that experience. And, and so do you remember, um, Doug, you talk about hiring people right. and attracting them to a better version of themselves. Sure. Right? So I love something that you said in our pre-interview. You said... John, I hire creative people and I let them do their job. Exactly. So talk to me a little bit about maybe a, a creative hire that you made that just, I, th- I think you nicknamed her the commander mm-hmm. in, in your in your days. But I mean, you hired her and what happened? Now, if you're talking about my prior to here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had, her name was Pat Reynolds and uh, Pat uh, came to us, transferred here. Her husband was an executive when cable TV was first being rolled out. And she transferred, and we were vetting process, looking for a person to be our office manager. And she was a mother of three daughters, and she'd also been a top administrator in a company where she moved from. But she wanted to be able to spend more time with her daughters and not be quite as rigid with her schedule. Mm-hmm. And her husband had such a promotion that she didn't have to have the income necessary. But she needed a job that was stimulating. Well, I think when she took on my brother and I, she didn't realize how stimulating it would be, and we didn't realize what we were getting when we hired Pat. And so about a year into it and we're doing her review of where we've been where we're at where we see it going and we're growing the company and she says i'm not a secretary i'm, I'm not an executive assistant i want a, a better title I said, well i don't know pat what do you think and she says i don't know i said how about supreme commander she says i like that <laughs> so yeah pat became the supreme commander and i had that put on her business cards and we let everybody know she was a woman in charge. She ran that ship, She right? ran it. Yeah. You know, she took care of that, the internal operations of the company for us, then let us do what we do best, and that's grow the company. Right. Well, and, and here's the key, right? You couldn't have, you have growers, and uh-huh. then you have moat defenders, right? Correct. Or you have organizers. Right. And I call them like the founders that are, are growing what's happening, and then uh-huh. the people that are protecting that moat. Correct. She protected that. She Absolutely. was the commander of that ship. Absolutely. Right. And you didn't micro anything nope. she was doing. Didn't have to. Yeah. We met, meh. Yeah. And if a needed basis, yes, but a regularly weekly. Right. Other than that, turn it loose. Right. So, so again, it's thinking mm-hmm. about if I'm taking an organizational assessment of where I'm at in my business today, mm-hmm. I'm going to think to myself, what's the greatest area of stress or something mm-hmm. that is holding me back? Who could I have in my organization that's right. going to help me elevate to that next level? And it's not always a recruiter. It's not no. always somebody to be next to you all the time. It could be that back end. I know that's because of my military background. I'm going to re- refer back to it. And I have to refer back to it because 
you're, you're never not training, number one. You're never not training. We're always training. Number two, the vetting process and the people we work with, life or death does depend on it. And you have to be able to count on that person that you're working with to do their job. And we have to prove it to each other that we can do our job. With that reliance, I don't have to be checking on you, John. Right. I know you're going to get it done. Right. I have no doubt in my mind you're going to get it done. You have to apply those same principles to business today. And if I have to look over somebody's shoulder or be worried about what they're doing every day, they're not the right hire. If I've done my job right and I've vetted them right and I've, I've got accountability processes in place. Right. And they like what they're doing. They have a real passion for what they're doing. I don't have to worry about it. Right. Because success is going to be a byproduct of passionate people that are in the right seat on your bus. Absolutely. Well, and if your organizational standard is uh, early is on time, on time's late, right? Yep. But the leader every single time is 15 minutes late to something. Don't, don't your people pick up on that and oh, start yeah. to, they, it's monkey see, monkey do. Oh, yeah. So that's something that you want to be very aware of mm -hmm. and cognizant of, of you set the tone of your culture oh. and the values of your organization. The speed of the packs is driven by who? Be the leader, speed of the pack. That's it. John Maxwell, right? That's it. But my other favorite one, John, is this. If you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. So if you remember that saying, if you're right. not the lead dog, the view never changes. What's that mean? Right. Well, around the edge of this is a dog sled team. And if you're not the lead dog on a dog sled team, what are you looking at? The dog in front of you. Somebody else's butt. Yeah. All right. I don't look at anybody else's butt. I want to be the lead dog. Right. So in this business, I approach it that way. I, I don't look at my competitors as much as I look at where's my market share? What do I need to do? And I don't care what the market, what the competitors are doing because I'm going to beat them. Right. So in that note, right, talking mm -hmm. about kind of being forward thinking and looking about, um, you know, being the lead dog and having right. the right people, there's a, a timeless resource that you've been talking to me about right. that really transcends any generation, any time, any industry. Any Talk to me a little bit about that resource and why it's so impactful. <clears throat> I first was introduced to it uh, at the Air Force Academy, and I'd heard about it, and I'd had different people talk about uh, a fellow by the name of Sun Tzu, and it's called The Art of War, and their principles about leadership is what it really is. When people hear the terms, oh, the art of war, they automatically think of blood and guts and guns and, and fighting, and it's really not about that at all. If you have an opportunity to get a copy of it, and there are hundreds of versions of interpretations of the basic writings. It's kind of like the Bible. There's a lot of people interpreting it different ways right. and how it applies in different ways. But almost every author, business author I've read about great leaders and great leadership, this or that, I find where I know they've read The Art of War because there's certain principles that they're pulling out of the book that's right here, that they're pulling out of it, and then applying their theory around that. That includes Gary Keller and Ron and Collins, and they're all doing it. Right. But it's one of those basic principles, I think, that everybody that's serious about being a leader and in it to win it needs to understand the principles in the art of war. So and if there was one principle that um, you're seeing today, right, come, come to fruition with all the different disruptions and things we've mm -hmm. been talking about, What's a principle that's highlighted that you think is more true today? Not that it's never not been true, but you're seeing it come up again and again and again in today's business or organizationals or communities. You have to equip your people. You're not going to win a war 
with people that aren't equipped. And when I say equipped, that means mentally, as well as with the right equipment facilities. And so equipping people is training them, giving them the right tools and the right systems to win. You have to have all those ingredients. You can you can have the best building in the world. You know, the best located building in the world, best phone system in the world, best everything. If you haven't got the right people, you haven't got anything. Right. You haven't got anything. And today, guess what? I call it less bricks and more clicks. I don't have to have the biggest building with private offices because these offices sit vacant now. Mm-hmm. They sit vacant because you're on the road. If you're not toe-to-toe, belly-to-belly in the arena every day, you're not going to be successful. Right. So the office has become more of a place to collaborate, right. to drop things off, to have training, to do different things. But we don't sit in offices as much as we used to. We're very mobile. Right. So, Again, if I, so if I'm a leader, a big change. If I'm a leader, less build, bricks and more clicks. Write that down, guys. Right. If I, if I'm a leader building that, I was just right. going to say it. less less bricks, more clicks. Yep. I'm looking at equipping my people to thrive, not just survive. Correct. Right. And they need to be able to be in the moment, real time. Let's go. Let's be mobile. Let's grab the tablet or phone and run out the door because we got a series of things we're doing. It's my mobile device. I no longer call it a phone. And what I wanted to highlight there is the importance of having a hub. Mm-hmm that I can come back to right. in like a bunker, right? You're right. coming back to, you're restocking, you're getting yep. a refer- So I love that about being equipped, your people yep. being equipped, being ready to roll. Yep. I love that, That that's great. Let, let, let's kind of shift one more time here. So okay. if if I'm talking to Doug, if, if if Doug's looking at younger Doug 30 years from now, right. ago, right? Right. What What's the one maybe piece of advice or, or thing you would tell younger Doug? Be careful who you get in business with. Don't trust everything that people say. You have to verify it with their actions. Okay, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, of of principles that never change, but uh, verify, trust, verify, trust, and verify, trust and verify, and take the time to hire the right people. I think the biggest mistake that young leaders make in filling positions on their team is they don't do the proper vetting and and and, and really checking, and so they have to go through a few. I don't want to call them bad hires, but misfits. Right. And not that people are bad. I don't mean when I say bad hire, but they're not fit for the position. And that costs you more than you know. Right. Uh, And it really costs the organization more than you know. I think secondly, you have to unhire people. I don't want to call it firing. You have to unhire them, either move them to a different position or get them out of the organization quickly. The longer you daddle, your people are watching, and they know when somebody needs to be out of a position. Right. The longer you wait, the worse it becomes, and the worse it makes you look, and le- less the least the less confidence they have in you as a leader. Doesn't that become easier if you're having regular sit downs weekly or monthly with the person, and you're saying, "What was our goal? Did you hit the goal? You didn't hit the goal. So now, knowing what we know about that, what's next? Eventually, it hits a point where it's like you've shown up five times for this sit down. You haven't done what you've said you're going to do." where are we at not in alignment accountability is a part of it but i always have to ask my ask myself as a leader what should i do differently with john so that he can perform to the levels of expectation that i have okay yeah i like that so i had a fellow by the name of danny cox and he was a former air force test pilot once he retired from from that he was one of those guys the first ones to uh beat the sound barrier and you know, make everybody mad with sonic booms, you know, that over the neighborhoods that they thought they were under attack. <laughs> right. And uh, he was quite a character. And when he left the Air Force and uh, started doing training and teaching and public speaking, uh, Danny talked about an experiment. 
He said, you go back home. You cannot hire or fire anyone. You have to work with what you got. That's it. For the next 90 days, you can't, you have to work with what you got. How would you treat them differently? Was his question. You have to work with what you have. There is no replacements. How would you treat them differently? Well, would you work harder at helping them develop the skills that you need? Because right now, so many times leadership thinks everybody's replaceable, like the toilet paper roll. Hey, we're out of toilet paper. Bring right, another roll. Right. No. What would you do if you had to develop the people that you had or find what is their best skills? What are their, what do you have to do to do that? And so and he goes on and does about an hour really hard lecture on it and makes us really think about those things because we're too easy to throw people away today. And I think that uh, you really have to give the right opportunity and say, did I do the right things as a leader to develop them? Because I think too often we don't. Right. Okay. And I think that uh, we're relying or assuming, which is always a terrible word, that, well, they'll catch on. Okay. Uh, or that, that old line. Well, the guy's kind of a dick, but you'll get used to him. No, that's not right. Right. All right. That's not right. We got to make that not, we got to make that right or get rid of the guy. You said in our pre-interview, you talked about being curious and asking mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a big believer um, that we're three to seven questions away from the solution. Right. We're three to seven questions from what's the real root issue here. Right. Because so often we ask a question or two, we hear a symptom. We hear right. a symptom. That's not the root issue. Again, you got to peel the layers back. Right. So you got to lift the veil. How did you learn as a leader to ask great questions? Where, where did that come from? Because asking questions, you just said it, right? We're, we're quick to replace. We're quick to move on. Mm-hmm. And I also think we're quick to judge. Mm-hmm. And when you ask questions, it forces us to slow down. That's not right. very commonplace in today's world, asking great questions. But I'm going to go back to a little bit more history on Doug. Uh, my father was a, uh, a company commander of World War II. He had 220 people that were under his leadership. And uh, he had a company of 220 black men. And when my father went through uh, officer training academy and school in Wyoming, it was determined that he had the right attributes to uh, deal with very difficult minority situations at the time. And his training was in civil engineering. And uh, a lot of his guys couldn't read or write uh, that he had to build a team Mm-hmm. that went over on the Queen Mary, ended up in England, and they built runways. They cut down the trees, cut the, cleared the land, and built runways. And when you have a, a leader like my dad was, and write the letters home for guys, and uh, teach them a lot of things they didn't learn, because our system at home for minorities at that time... Wasn't supporting that. Wasn't right? supporting education. Right. So my dad became a teacher, wow. as well as a leader. And he spent almost four years over there from England to uh, France and then to Germany before coming home. And he's maintained contact with quite a few of these guys over the years who he taught to read. He had to teach me a lot. He died when I was 18. And uh, I started hearing these stories when I was about 10. And uh, he didn't talk about it a lot, but it was at moments in life when I needed it because some of his dadisms were, uh, had to do with, uh, you know, Doug, Experience is the best teacher. Experience is a great teacher. It's a damn tuition you can't afford. That would always then follow, be followed up with whatever I had been into at that time that I needed to learn a lesson about. And so his dadisms, and there was a couple more, 
uh, that stuck with me today and I use every day. Uh, but these guys were the greatest heroes of ever. And what they did in World War II, and our country is totally beholding to that because we could be living a whole different life if Hitler had prevailed. And uh, these core beliefs and values I have are because of him and my mother. And I think the generation today really needs to look back. It's not just the shoulders, but to look back and really form core beliefs if this country is going to continue to grow and prosper and be leaders of the world. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because, you know, I know every single day, Doug, there are people around you who get those Dougisms. And you've, you've paid that forward. And, and I know that I've, I've been blessed at a very high level to have worked alongside and with you. Uh, the best is yet to come. I'm sorry? The best is yet to come. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, I just kind of want to wrap with uh, one final maybe sort of thought. How do you continue to move forward and stay hungry and stay motivated? Because being a leader and being on top and I'm not saying being on top mm -hmm. in a position. I'm saying being on top, maybe your company is finding great success and you have competitors coming after you. How do you stay motivated to stay hungry, to stay humble, to continue to be forward focused with the right activities, the right people? What do you, what do, you do? What do you remind yourself? How do you stay in that environment? Well, John, every day is not a perfect day. Because um, your shirt right now says take action. Take action. And it, that's what it is. Take action. And it's, it's about your activities that you have every day. And, you know, people say, do you ever sleep? I sleep in shifts. And uh, people say, well, what does that mean? Well, I might sleep for three, three or four hours. That may be from, uh, depending on the day, could be nine o'clock till about midnight or from 10 o'clock till about one o'clock. And then I have my quiet time. And people call it meditating. Well, now they have new words for everything, you know. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's my quiet time. Because yeah. when I'm in the arena here, it never stops. When I come to work, uh, I'm like, again, the trauma center, the fireman. You're responding to different circumstances. You have to be very flexible in this position to do that. You've asked me before, what's your job description? I said, well, that's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Because it covers a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways that I think a, a person at the tenure I am in the business and what we're doing doing here, some kind of a connector, uh, a little bit of the, the oil that keeps the engine lubricated and running. I have to help out with all the different elements and be your good wingman, you know, for our OP, uh, because I'm on the streets and I'm dealing with the, the real issues and the agents don't always communicate it to you, but they will to me. So my job is to communicate it to you so that we can deal with the issues that are real issues and not just... The symptoms. People barking. Right. Does that so, help? Yeah, no, that, 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 that's exactly right. And what I was going to say, too, is I think that the key is saying, okay, what is, like you said at the start of the podcast, right. the three things I need to get done today. What is my big rocks? What's my focus? Exactly. And you don't win that, that day until those three things are done. I, don't, I pretend that my car is going to blow up if I go out and put the key in it. Now, if I have to stay here until 10 o'clock at night and get it done, I get it done. Right. I get it done. Well, um... It's been an honor today to have you, Doug, on the Forward Focus podcast. I appreciate you. I yep. love you. Yep. And uh, we'll see Likewise. you soon, okay? All right. Thanks. Get the art of war. 
If you found value in today's content, please be sure to subscribe so you never miss a lesson to be the leader you deserve to be. And until next time, lead on.